0: Hey, I'm Rachel Billingsley,
1: and I'm Luke Billingsley, and this is GMT Talk, our new insider podcast where we talk about all things GMT.
0: Today on GMT Talk, we'll be interviewing designer and longtime friend of GMT, Harold Buchanan. Harold is founder and chairman of the San Diego Historical Games Convention. SD HIST is a not-for-profit corporation that runs conventions both online and face-to-face with the mission to create a diverse and supportive historical gaming community. Harold was also a founding member of the Zenobia Award.
1: Professionally, Harold has a long and distinguished history in the financial and investment worlds and is also a respected university professor in San Diego. He's also a devoted husband and dad to a great family. Uh, Given the sheer number of responsibilities Harold has, it's amazing to us that he has any time at all for game design. But as you may know, Harold has designed three historical games, Uh, Liberty or Death, which is Coin Series Volume 5 from GMT, Flashpoint South China Sea, which is Volume 1 in the Flashpoint series from GMT, and Campaigns of 1777 from Strategy and Tactics magazine.
0: All right, let's get them on. Harold, thanks so much for being here. We appreciate the time you're taking to come on GMT Talk and chat with us.
2: Luke and Rachel, so much fun to be here. I'm excited and uh what a what a what an introduction that was. I can't live <laughs> up to it in any way. But uh but thanks for having me on your inaugural edition. It's very cool. Yep, it's great to have you. Yep, thanks for happy being to here.
0: Have you.
1: So, starting off, uh congrats on a third printing of Liberty or Death, which was originally awesome. printed in 2016, 2017 and now 2023.
2: Yeah, that's uh, it's it's great to see that it is uh, has has been so popular, right? And so uh, and, and is so widely played even today. Um, who would have thunk it, right? I mean, um, the the first trip back in time for the coin series, and um, and my first attempt to put together, you know, an interesting um, an interesting game that's a little bit different. Uh, so, yeah, very very excited about that. I think that's uh, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it is awesome. And uh, when we were chatting with you the other day about Liberty or Death, you had an interesting story about how the game originally had a different title. So, would you like to tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I I think war gamers, um, we we as a as a tribe do a terrible job of naming things. <laughs> we, we we create names that have nothing to do with whatever it is that we're trying to promote sell communicate right yeah um you know to pick on fred Serval, homo ludens what does that mean I, you know I, I speak english not very well i don't know what that means um and there any he's number he's definitely
1: going to see this too
2: there, yes well i don't I, you know we're not sure right but but if he does uh, i love him and i love his stuff but i don't know what that means um you know the uh, a, a distant plane what what in the world what does that mean <laughs> so, in the you know, to continue that theme, when I started down the path of liberty or death, one of my favorite quotes comes from Machiavelli in his uh, analysis of, um, of of some Roman writing, and basically, um, he talks about um, it's it's discourse discourse on Livy is his is his piece. And he talks about the fact that if when, that when you have these, when, when you're highly um, expansive as a country, and 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 an empire, that on the fringes you have all of these people that are not real happy, and maybe mm-hmm. a lot of people that are not happy about, you know, living under your 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 guns, and um, and so in Do- discourses on Libby, um, Machiavelli talked about a people numerous and armed that will come back and bite you in the backside. Right. Which happened in the Roman empire, of course, and is exactly what was happening with the American, with the, with the, you know, the, the North American population Mm. and British and, and frankly all over the British empire. Right. It was just a result of colonialism, but eventually, you know, it was going to unwind. And and of course, looking back from um, the, this, this century, we, We know that it unwound, and there was pressure that caused that. So um, we know that the British soldiers quoted discourses on Libby, and they talked a lot about a people numerous and armed. It was a common uh, communication that was documented in a lot of the writings at the time. So I thought, what a great name for a game, a people numerous and armed. But what does that mean? It really, you know, in hindsight, it means it's silly. It doesn't mean anything about the American Revolution. It's just this obscure little thing. Let me give you a side story before I finish. I went to MIT to grad school. And at MIT, all the buildings are numbered. And as a matter of fact, the majors are numbered. So when I talk to another MIT grad, I say, oh, I was course 15. And they say, oh, I was course 25. And we mm-hmm. know exactly what that means, right? The reason that, that groups of people do that is because it excludes non-members of the tribe, right? Oh, they're not gonna understand what I'm um, go to building 13. Well, where's building 13? Well, they're not in order, yeah. But just go to sure. building 13, right? So so the same thing's true, I think, with all these odd names for games and they're they're just cute, cutesy isms, right? Mm-hmm. And and yeah, if you know, you know, but you know, you gotta be deep into the history and um and so uh Mike Berticelli was the developer on the game developer on a lot of coin games. And Mike said, um, you know, he was polite to me, but he, you know, didn't really like, you know, he said, let's, let's take a poll and find other names. I said, okay, I'll consider whatever. Well, what Mike did was he took the poll and kind of showed it to me, but then ran to Gene and, and, uh, said, hey, Gene, um, everybody likes Liberty or death. What do you think? And Gene says, yeah, I like Liberty or death. And he said, okay, well, what about Liberty or death or, a people numerous and armed. And Gene says, well, liberty or death. So he, so, so Mike calls me back and he says, hey, Gene says uh, liberty or death is a great name for the game. So, <laughs> so of course, a uh, first-time designer, not understanding the process of the people, I, I said, uh, well, you know, that's a good name. I'll take it. And in hindsight, it was the right name, right? Um, certainly Mike and Gene's experience uh, tells us that, you know, it's a clear name that evokes – the period it evokes, uh, the conflict—it's—it's um, it's perfect. Yeah. And thank goodness we didn't go with the people numerous and armed. Now, what I did do was I named one of the scenarios of people numerous and armed.
1: <laughs> oh, um, oh, nice. So, perfect.
2: So I got a little bit out of it. And, a little and fallback. All happy. Yeah. <laughs> That's good.
0: That's great. And the rest is history.
2: <laughs> history is history.
0: Well. Yeah. That too. (laughs) (laughs) So for those who don't know, uh, Conflicts of Interest Online has an article series titled My Favorite Card, asking different designers, developers, or playtesters involved in the game's development about their favorite card. And about a month ago, maybe a little longer, you asked me what my favorite card was from GMT's Mr. President. So now I would like to ask you, what is your favorite card
2: from Liberty or Death? And why? Mm. Well, there, um, there are a handful of cards. I think if I'd put more thought into this or knew that question was coming, Rachel, sorry, I would have, uh, sorry, come up, come up with a better answer. But, but there, there are a handful of cards that are that are interesting to me. Um, there are two times where weather played a massive, a, 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 had a massive impact on what happened in the American Revolution. The first was the fog allowed Washington to retreat from the new york environs and and protect his army right the most important thing he had to do was to protect that army yeah. it wasn't much it's all he had without it the 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 war would have been lost and so so if it hadn't been so foggy is one of those cards and then the the other card uh that's similar to that is if it hadn't been so stormy and that card was was um kind of came from the um uh, the siege at Yorktown. So Burgoyne was trapped at Yorktown for the most part. He couldn't evacuate because the Navy couldn't get in or wouldn't come in and, mm-hmm. and pull his army out, which is what they all expected. So he's under siege, but there is the chance to retreat across the river to the north. And uh, I don't think it's the James River. I'm trying to remember what it is. If Volko was here, he would tell us instantly. But the, the, um, the he was he had a very easy retreat. Across that river to the north, there was a small, a relatively small force on that side of the river, patriot force, and 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 no French on that side, but patriots to protect that eventuality. But the but the British would have pushed right through it and then started their trek back to New York. And um, when he started to do that, a storm kicked up and washed yeah. out the boats and made it un- and made them, uh, you know, made it unsafe, impossible across the river. And then the next day they, uh, they, uh, surrendered. And, and so, you know, I, th- I think those two cards, and they're also worded in a way to where all sorts of weird things can happen. Um, and a little bit complicated, but I think those are my two favorite cards in the deck. Nice. Some
0: great ones.
2: I like those,
1: those titles. Those are good. Mm-hmm. Um, So shifting gears a little bit. uh, Next, we'd like to ask you a few questions about the 2022 Charles S. Roberts Award for Best Modern Wargame winner, Flashpoint South China Sea. So, (laughs) uh,
0: well, yes, your design. What inspired you to design this game that's about the tinderbox in the South China Sea?
2: The... um... I was working on another game which which hasn't been published, but um a much larger, more complex game. And um I I came to your dad and I said, Hey Gene, I'm I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. And I you know, I wasn't gonna dump all the details on him and have him tell me the right answer. I had to figure it out, but but I didn't know what a designer does, right? your dad's designed a bunch of games and he's been around a bunch of designers and he runs a publishing business. That's very successful. So I said, Gene, what do you, what do you do when you're stuck like this? And he said, I'd start working on another game. I would, I would do something simple, maybe a little card game. And, um, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I'll give that a go. And, you know, at the time I was thinking a lot about modern conflict between the Chinese and, and, um, and the United States in the South China sea Mm. and the fact that it's really a non-kinetic conflict, right? It's, it's, it's a soft conflict. Most conflicts are soft, right? I mean, the the kinetic stuff is the history of the war game industry, but frankly, it's very small part of, of conflict and conflict resolution in the world. Yeah. It's the last step. Um, but, but it's not, you know, it's not as common as, as the number of games would tell us. So, um, I thought, what you know, what an interesting little conflict, right? It's it's asymmetric. The Chinese are there. The U.S. is miles away. The contention over territory in the South China Sea is really about five, six, seven countries, um, none of which are the United States. So China has the potential to bully those countries, mm. or or gift them into submission, and in the United States without. Supporting these countries has no chance of supporting the right to to free, um, sh- you know, shipping across those that most important shipping lane. So that's that's why that was interesting. And then I started work on the on the uh, on on Flashpoint South China Sea. That the reality I found fairly quickly was it's much harder to create an a fun game, an interesting game that's tiny. So, <clears throat> you know, many times these big games are engineering exercises and and there's complexity in there and they're hard, but you can make them interesting just from sheer complexity, right? Uh, yeah. Never a good idea, but you can. And, and there are plenty of examples of that. Flashpoint, I didn't have that luxury, right? And the, you, you, you have 18 card plays and you're done. Um, and so, how do you make that interesting and give people interesting choices? and multiple paths and then take advantage of the asymmetry. And um, that made it really tough, but, um, but, you know, it all stemmed from this discussion with your dad, which was with Gene, which was, you know, do something different. And um, I'm very happy. I took the path.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So did it end up helping you get progress on the first thing that you were designing?
2: It, it did. Um, You know, the, the, the problem I, well, the problem we all have is time, right? I mean, it's, it's that thing we can't replace and it dwindles every day. Um, yeah. and, and so the other problem that I have, which I think is common amongst uh, people that I talk to that are designers is that, you know, we just have 20 ideas that we'd like to work on.
3: So, yeah.
2: uh, so that idea rests in my head and uh, I've done a little bit of work. And uh, I'm excited about it. I think it will be awesome, you know, once once created. But um, but it's taken a back seat to, to to other things. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: So um, one of the features of Flashpoint South China Sea is that it has a solo bot. So would you like to tell us a little bit about why you wanted a solo bot and the process? Maybe a little bit about the process for how
2: you created and developed it. Yeah. Well, I think the solo bot does a lot of good things um, for us as a community. One is it, it opens it up to people that don't have the luxury to play with another person. Right. And uh, secondly, there are people that prefer that play mode. Um, I think all that's good. The third thing it does is it helps people learn the game. You know, it, uh, the, I, I never recommend people start off solo with the coin series. But if you want to learn strategy, play the bots. And the, and the bots will really help you think about strategy. So I thought it was important for all of those reasons. The other thing, though, that was just um, fortuitous was the great Jason Carr. I came <laughs> in with the final version of the game after I had reiterated four times and and finally had a game that I thought was fun and good, and I came in and I showed it to a host of people at GMT, including you, you two. At least, Rachel, you played it at that time, and I did. And, um, and Gene. I played it yeah. too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Luke, you were there. That's right. And then um, Jason Carr, right? I, so I grabbed the, the, the giant brain that is Jason Carr, <laughs> and I bring him over, and I, I, I set him down, and I said, let me show you this. And he was intrigued by it and interested. And um, he said, well, what would a bot look like? And so I said, well, you know, small number of cards, uh, intuitive gameplay, you know, and not a whole bunch of paths and flow charts, but just something easy and intuitive, but competitive. And um, he went home to his, you know, that night to his hotel and comes back the next day and he says, okay, here's how it's going to work. And he laid it all out. Uh, and it was, you know, it was a gift, right? Uh, anytime you get, yeah. Anytime you get somebody's big brain like that, it's a, <laughs> it's a gift. So uh, I was real happy um, to have him on board to do that. And the other thing that's interesting about doing solo bots, and this is true for Flashpoint and also Liberty or Death, and I would expect other designers experience this, probably don't talk about it much, but doing a solo bot improves the rest of the game. And, And that is because just the thought process of what should a bot do Makes you think about edge cases and how do things really work, and so it was the best exercise to go through, to 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 polish the rules, to polish the game, to make it competitive, you know, answer the questions about you know what's what's fair and what's even, and and um, so you know it was it was a great experience uh, in that regard. That's awesome.
0: That's great. I've never thought about it as a development tool too, but that's really cool.
2: Yeah. And I yeah, it turned out that way. I was, um, I was a little bit, I, was, I, I, well, I, that was my experience in Liberty or death and, and, um, and certainly uh flashpoint. Um, so I, it's hard for me to be on a, on a podcast or a video and not ask questions. Okay. And, and I know that, that both of you are heavily involved in the business of GMT games Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why you're here and why you're interested in doing this sort of thing. Uh I, I know you're interested in my games, but I, I suspect that that your affiliation with GMT is another plus. And it's not just your dad. Uh Gene, so um could what 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 role do both of you play in GMT games and how did that all come about?
0: Uh Luke, I guess I can go first here. I've worked yeah. there a little bit longer. Um I started working at GMT when I was very young. Uh, Not officially, it was more of a.
2: You're
0: in the family, so you're not young anymore,
2: Rachel.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not young anymore. I'm old. No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. But um, we were teens when we started working in the warehouse and the office um, of GMT, which is a great place to learn all about the business and just different goings on that you may not think about as a customer. Um, So that element. I did long ago and it's before I was in in college and I went to college for marketing. And I was looking for a job at the time. And I thought to myself after a few different interviews, why don't I work at GMT? I enjoy it. It's interesting. They might need the help. Let me, you know, talk to my dad and just see how it's going. And in the process of that, uh, we decided that we needed to have a blog because we were wasting resources in certain ways. And so it it was my idea to start inside GMT. And so I started just running that and doing a couple other things on our social media. That was in, I believe 2015. And I've kind of just picked up more and more responsibilities as this time has gone on. So uh, I, my title is technically marketing director, but I do many different things. And uh, we've added Luke to the team also, if he wants to talk about what he does but
1: yeah yeah uh so I had the same background growing up in the family business as a child um which helps a lot honestly for what I do now and just understanding all the parts of the business and how how they fit together and um and how I can fit in there as well so I um in 2019 finished college and I was in a corporate job that I really disliked um, just because of the corporate structure and you gotta get signatures from all these people down the chain of command before you can get anything done and all that kind of stuff. And I was home for Christmas and telling my dad about it and he was like, well, would you consider GMT? And I was like, well, what can you offer? <laughs> and I had just finished a negotiating class too that I was taking. And so he, <laughs> wow. he gave me an offer and I was like, oh, I'm married. I got a lot of expenses and I negotiated up and it ended up working out, which is great. Um, and so I started working for GMT in 2019. I kind of wear a lot of hats. I'm a little less... Um, focused than Rachel is in one department. But I did some development for a little while. I worked on red flag over Paris with Fred Serval. And so now, well, I don't, don't do development anymore, but now I do some marketing with Rachel and I do some accounting type stuff with Rachel. And I am also the ad manager for putting ads on BGG and inside GMT and other places. So,
2: that's, That's awesome. The best part of that story, Luke, is that your dad lowballed you on the offer. <laughs> right? What the heck is that? Come
1: on. Well, hey, maybe it was a test. You know?
2: Yeah. I, good you good know. on you, right? That, that class negotiating with your parents is certainly <laughs> an important class and one that my kids have had recently as well. <laughs> and, um, and, and Rachel, both of your work on Inside GMT is awesome. It, it really is prolific now. There's a ton of content that pushes through there. And uh, it's just uh, you know, it's an important part of the hobby and and uh, and what we all do. So I appreciate that. You know, the other great thing I think you all bring to the table to GMT, which is great for your for your father and and the business in general, is just a different perspective and and a collaborative style, which he's always had, but <clears throat> it's good for him to have some advisors uh, that have his best interest at heart and the best interest of the company and and can also Uh, talk him through some of the new issues that we all face uh, as our culture shifts and, and uh, the demographics change.
1: And who can say no with no fear of relational strife as well. Cause sometimes, you know, it's, you don't want yes men underneath you all the time. Yes, men or women. Um, So he's done a really great job of somehow separating father from employer. Um, So we walk that yeah. tightrope. Often, it's a
2: testament to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> so, uh, I'm wondering, and lots of other people are wondering as well. I think, uh, what comes next for the Flashpoint series? Can you give us any teasers or anything?
2: Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll hit you in the nose with a few things. Um, <laughs> you know, one of my 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 next game of interest at the time when I was doing Flashpoint South China Sea was. Uh, Venezuela which is interesting because it's in our hemisphere and of course it's the application not only by the Chinese but the Russian of economic power and 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 uh, other designs uh, in a state that really is problematic for the United States political interests hmm. and, um, and and so I thought wow that's that's perfect right that all sounds perfect then I started digging in and and creating a design and and, and dealing with Recent history and then, you know, just like Flashpoint, recent history, but also kind of what's coming. And, man, that Venezuela story is sad. I mean, uh, you know, a a proud, wonderfully productive people that are just oppressed by a broken system. Mm -hmm. And then the United States cutting off all ties, all support, economic and otherwise, and, and basically trying to break it as fast as you can and and that's what the game would be and it's and and i'm just not interested in um in in that particular design yeah um so i found that depressing and and stopped post haste um and you know all these conflicts are depressing right war is depressing And, and somehow we push around the counters and 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 pretend that what's happening isn't really happening and it, it's part of what we do, right? We study bigger things than 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 death, but death is a part of, of what we do. So, but but I just couldn't get over that in Venezuela, and uh, and so I so I, I decided not to do it. But my next interest and is I've told you all and everybody else who will listen, uh, including my dog, that Twilight Struggle is the greatest game ever made. I love it. I love everything about it. It's perfect. I play it all the time. Uh, I play it online all the time. Thank goodness for the play deck guys and, and gals. I mean, the, the work that they've done is wonderful and, you know, basically wasting tons of my time playing Twilight Struggle against other <laughs> people from around the world. It's just great. Um, so that said, and, and by the way, Jason and Ananda, two of the greatest people in the industry and in the hobby. So um, I said, well, why not Cold War? Why not a, a model that you can play in 30 or 45 minutes of the Cold War? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, with a little bit different perspective, right? So maybe um, maybe China is a more important part of the Flashpoint game than it would be in Twilight Struggle. Mm-hmm. And even though it's an important piece, it really is a, it's, it's a sideshow to what goes on on the map. But China's big, right? Big and important. Yep. So what about that? What about... Um, you know, the, the, uh, the arms race and, and, and that linkage to the space race and, and the space race was the arms race too. So, you know, maybe that plays a bigger role. And, um, and so I'm going to design a game. It's a little different, right? That feels a little different, looks a little different, um, playable quicker. Uh, I, you know, I, I made some modifications yesterday to my prototype. I, I'm trying to have a prototype by SD Hiscon, um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, I won't be happy with it, but at least I can put it on the table and get people to point at it. And, you know, and Jason and Ananda will be here for the November con. And, and, and of course, great. Uh, Rachel and, and Jean and Jason and would love to get them to point at it and make fun of it and tell me what doesn't work. And, and, you know, but that's the process, right? That's, yeah. that's what I need. I don't, I don't need people to love on me and tell me it's great. Um, you know, the the best feedback you can get in a play test is, Hey, this doesn't work or this, games, no fun, right? That's the best thing that people can say to you in a play test. Um, conf, con, con, the confirmation of the designer's dream of, Hey, this is awesome. It, it's great, but it's not helpful. Right. Um, and I, you know, again, I'm not trying to be mean to anybody that tells me they love my game because <laughs> in play testing, because I appreciate that. That's a kindness. And, you know, all of our egos are fragile to some degree, but, um, Anyway, anyways, uh, so Cold War uh, is the next step uh, for South China, for Flashpoint. I've, I've thought about other um, sort of conflicts, um, but yeah, none, none that are really worth naming. I, well, there's one that I've talked about before, and Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo had a very interesting competition in and around Florence um, that I've considered and sketch some notes around mm-hmm. I think that would be a fun little you know flashpoint uh, Italian Renaissance thing but um, yeah um, but but Cold War is what's next and I, and I, as you know you were kind enough to mention in my introduction I'm pretty busy so uh, I I don't create as many uh, designs as you know as I'd like to
0: gotcha. I look forward to seeing that uh, potentially at SD Hiscon.
3: <clears throat>
1: yeah, that sounds super interesting. <laughs> Speaking
0: Good. of SD Hiscon, we do want to talk to you a little bit about that. But first, we'd like to welcome a special guest, uh, Gene Billingsley, the founder and one of the principals of GMT Games. Hello. Hi,
3: hey, hey, Gene. Nice.
1: Hey, welcome to GMT Talk.
3: Yeah, welcome. Thanks, Rachel and Luke. I appreciate that. I know how much you guys have put into preparing for this podcast, and I uh, just want to tell you congratulations on your first episode of GMT Talk. I also want to congratulate you on your choice of your first guest. Um, that, that's a pretty big honor, I think, Harold, to, ha- to have them choose you. Uh, Harold's a great guy. Um, and the, one of the best things about this business is that the people you work with become your friends, and that's been true in spades for Harold and me. I really appreciate your friendship, Harold. And uh, he's been there for me, and I hope I've been there for you uh, a, a few times as well. I appreciate what you said about um, that that story about where you, where you started with Flashpoint. You know, because I remember that phone call. I, I remember you calling me, and I was in a hotel in Las Vegas uh, working on Mr. President, of course. And,
0: uh, <laughs> That's all you worked on for <laughs>
3: <laughs> But you know, I, I I I think it's the relationships that really matter in in this business. Games come and go and we all like to play them, um, but it's the people that really matter. Mm. So I'm, I'm glad you're here today. Um, my question, I'm, I'm hoping Harold's not gonna ask me questions. I get to ask Harold a question, right? Yes, you do. Yes. Okay. So Harold, um, I, I mean, first off, let's just full disclosure. I could ask you questions about games or about college football and we would completely take over this podcast and it would go like four hours long, right? Go Buckeyes. So we're, we're not going to do that. Yeah, you know, I, that, that's fair. You too. <laughs> but, but so I'm really interested in SD Hassan. Okay. Not necessarily the event. I mean, I remember what has it been now, seven or eight years. Uh, you called me and invited me to come down to the inaugural show that you had in San Diego. And I was happy to do it and said, how can we help? You know, and, and hopefully we did help you. Um But I got down there and I realized you you already had a team. And of course, at at various points, the team was your wife and and a couple of your kids, but also met some great people down there, you know, Pat and Bobby and Pratik. And, uh, you know, there's more that I'm I'm not naming. Uh, But I've been super impressed with those guys over the years and super impressed with the growth of SD Hiscon. Um, I I will say a a fringe benefit of going to that show for I'm pretty sure I've been to it every time um, is that I got like a a food tour and a Mm. geography tour of San Diego from all the different places where we had the event. Right. And we get to do it again this year, Um, you know, this time close to Point Loma Seafood. Right. But but back to your team, I'm just very interested. How how did this team evolve? How did you build this group of people? And uh, how'd you grow what SD Hiscon does so
2: quickly? Well, Gene, thanks for the kind words. Um, you, you've been a great advisor to me in learning this uh, game design art, and then um, you know, just it helping me think through, you, you know a lot of questions about what should I do with the convention? How should we grow it? What should, you know, and, and lots of great advice and tons of support from you and your, and your, and your company. Um, so, uh, uh, we can't tell you how much we appreciate, uh, your support. So that's part of it, right? I mean, I, I think that the, the, the most important part for us was finding people that had a common interest and, um, mm-hmm. You know it, it could be games and, and that's a part of it. Everybody that's with us now is interested in the games. But you know if we were going to do this, we, we wanted to do it in a way that could change the world. And, and early on we made contributions uh, to charities that um, that were trying to change the world. So that was what we did initially. But as as the group grew and and, and as we grew, what we did, um, we decided that we wanted to do some things to change the world. And, and, you know, I don't know if it's really changed as much as just take this hobby that we love and, and make it accessible, more accessible, right? So it's accessible, but make it more accessible. And then when you talk about accessibility, you know, it's not just accessibility to a bunch of old white guys. Um, and, and I love old white guys being one myself, right? So So no criticism there. but, but how, what can we do to make sure that this gaming Renaissance, the broader gaming Renaissance has a big impact on all of us and, and what we do in our niche of historical, historical games. So um, we you know, it, it just grows, right? I mean, once we developed uh, a mission, and started working through that mission uh people came to us and and you know they were interested in helping out and um you know we we just have the the great fortune of having an outstanding group of people uh that play an important role we this just this year we became a 501c4 so a not-for-profit organization um dedicated toward improving accessibility in our hobby and um we, we now have eight board members on that corporation that are all people that are dedicated to it and love it. And, you know, we can split up different roles. Now it's not me trying to do everything or Pat Wells, who was with me at the very early days. Um, you know, a lot of bright people doing interesting things. And so it's been growing. We now have two face-to-face conventions this year. We're going to do four conventions next year, two online and two face-to-face East and West. Uh, I'm I'm always talking about new and interesting things uh, that convention-wise, but man, this U.S. Naval War College was off the chart, and um, and and so you know we're we're just going to keep doing that with the in, in, with the intention of increasing um, access to the hobby. Um, we've got a summit award now, right? So pe- we're interested in in finding the good things that are going on in our hobby. And, and calling them out. So great games that are accessible. Uh, Red flag over Paris won the first year of that summit award. Uh, and it's, is,
3: probably, it's probably a pretty good thing that Fred won that award after you trashed
2: him at the beginning of this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He, he's going to be pissed. And, and so I, I'm going to have to bear that. Um, and that's okay. Fred's been mad at me before and he'll be mad at me again, but I still love him. He's a good guy. Um, We have, uh, so we have that, we have, um, you know, a a lot of interesting things going on, Uh, some, some things that we have planned that I'm, that I, that I'm not at liberty to talk about that are, that are just going to improve accessibility. Uh, We were, we supported, we were the largest financial supporter to the Zenobia award Um, and, uh, and the great things that came out of that. And, and, you know, we all, expect to continue with the Zenobia award. Um, and then, um, yeah, so, and we have a board of advisors of seven people that are all, um, interesting, thoughtful people in the hobby. We have the conflicts of interest magazine and online, which has been, uh, a great place for us to, to tell our story and to talk about the things of interest to us that, that a lot of places won't or can't talk about. Right. So, um, uh, you know, I, I to me, a, a really good magazine has to talk about social issues and what's going on in the hobby. And man, we've avoided that for so long, right? I mean, everybody's afraid to talk about it, uh, that we're the perfect place to to do that. So, um, so that's all great. Um, yeah, so, you know, we're even, Gina, the other thing we're going to do, which is kind of interesting in the interest of transparency, and I write a report every year about, state of our organization where I just lay everything out. We talk about money that flows through and what we did with it. And, you know, nobody makes any money off of it. I don't get a salary. Nobody gets a salary. Um, But uh, we're going to have a board meeting at SD Hiscon on Saturday morning, and it's going to be open to everybody. And Mm -hmm. so we'll conduct the board meeting. We'll have discussions to generate ideas. And anybody that wants to step inside that room can, can, enjoy it with us um and that's you know that's
3: everything what's that i like the idea of that that sounds
2: really interesting well transparency is important to us right um i think it's important you know we're we're not a commercial enterprise we're a not-for-profit we serve the public we serve our community and it's important for us to talk about what we do and how we do it in detail so that other people can say hey look that's too much of this or too little of this And, and, you know, we'll consider everything. So, uh, transparency is important to the organization now. That's great. Well, thanks,
3: Harold. I appreciate you answering that question. All right. Back to our regular. So
0: you mentioned, um, sorry, I interrupted you, but, uh, I was going to say, you mentioned S. C. Hiscon East at the Naval war college museum. We were wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about how that went and maybe just a few of your favorite moments.
2: So we've, um, you, you know, I've, I've talked about on podcasts for a while, uh, the idea of having a convention linked to a historical site and then being able to touch and taste the historical site with tours and then go back to the convention and play stuff. And, uh, you know, so in the process cool. of... And in the, in the process, I mean, it makes sense, right? We're yeah. we're in history, so yeah. so let's lever that. And you know, my view was it would always be at Gettysburg or Sar- Saratoga, and maybe we do that someday, right? But but that was that was the idea, right? And um, and so in the process of developing that, uh, I got to know um, Rob Doan, who's the curator of the U.S. Naval Warfare Naval War College Museum, mm-hmm. which is on the island on the base. Of the U.S. Naval War College, which has an incredible history of war gaming, and um, you know Nimitz and Plan Orange, there it is. It was right there that this happened. That that happened before the war. So um, I didn't even think. You know, I knew Rob for years and hadn't really thought about it. And then we started piecing together Battle of Rhode Island, which Mark Miklos had developed a, a, a game, a Battle of the American Revolution game on right there, right? It was right there. Yeah. And, and, and then Rob said, you know, we got room in the museum if you ever wanted to have a little convention. Mm. So it, it all, it just hits me in the face. Right. And it's the product of a lot of networking. I have a lot of networking conversations. I love to talk to people. I love to, to collaborate and come up with ideas to do stuff. And so it's just all part of that. And, um, and so Robin and Mark and I said, you know, let's do something linking the Battle of Rhode Island to the Naval War College to the museum and the game itself. So that's what we did. And and so the first day was a tour of first of all the the battleship Massachusetts, right, which was the Fired the first 16-inch guns, American guns of World War II, and the last 16-inch guns of World War II. Right, so it Whoa. spanned the destruction of the French fleet all the way to the surrender of Japan. Just an extraordinary history in this show. Wow, and it's chills. it's parked. Right? It's a parked a 20-minute drive from the Navy War College. So we did a a tour there, and and by the way, and I'm going to tell the story of this in a coming podcast, but we Volco and and his buddy Roberto go to the battleship with me. It's time for me to leave, to head to the um, the the Battle of, of uh, Rhode Island site, the Butts Hill Fort. And so I called Volco and I said, I don't know where you guys are, but I'm getting in the car and I'm headed out. And he said, oh, we're good. We're going to stay. So mm-hmm. I lost him that day. He spent the entire day from 9 a.m. until, I didn't see him again on, until Saturday on this battleship. I was concerned he was in the brig or something, right? That there was some sort of trouble and, <laughs> and, and you know, Volko. Yeah. Uh, but, but uh, there's a story there and he'll tell that on the, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, so that happened. I go to the battle of um, Rhode Island site, Butts Hill Fort, and there's a restoration going on. And there are six of the historians slash volunteers for the restoration are there. Oh,
0: wow. And then, of
2: course the great Mark Miklo is telling his story. Mm-hmm. Now, Every time I see Mark Miklos in something associated with the American Revolution, like he does at um, at Prescon, right, he's in full regalia. He's got the (laughs) tricorn jacket, everything, right? Very impressive. Wow. So what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to do something. So I bought a sweatshirt that looked like a Patriot uniform, right? And it was silly, but I said, if Mark's going to come doing that, I've got to do it. Mark shows up in jeans and a (laughs) t-shirt and it's just me. The only idiot dressed like a Patriot soldier wearing a sweatshirt. So anyway, so Mark gives his discussion to about 35, 40 people, much of which is, um, is recorded and included in uh, inside GMT blog and Mark's report, which was cross posted in conflicts of interest. Thank you for, Allowing that, Rachel, and um, so so that his presentation is great. And Mark is like um, Shelby Foote, right, for the U.S. Civil War. He talks about it as if he were there. I think he may have been there, transported (laughs) somehow. Kind of weird, but I believe it because when you hear him talk about it, that's what it is. So he does that. We go to the museum, grab some dinner, and then at seven o'clock, six o'clock at the museum. Mark, has, Mark holds a teach and play. So anybody wants to come, he'll mm-hmm. teach the game. And the pictures are awesome, right? There's this massive room in the, in the museum and there's Mark showing his game surrounded by probably another 35 or 40 people all hanging on every word and it was awesome. <laughs> and then that broke into a number of different games like 10 or 12 with four players playing, right? So the, the Patriots and the French Versus the British and the Hessians, so four-player games of this battle of the American Revolution, Battle of Rhode Island, and uh, it was just the greatest immersion. And the group was so excited about it. And the stories, you know, that game yields great stories: uh, the units, the leaders, the locations. His, 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 and then imagine we're playing on a game, in a game where we were standing here in this hex earlier, in this hex, right, Turkey Hill. We were there, But's Butts Hill Fort, we were there. Um, so it, it was a really a unique experience. The, the last day, Mark had a, a, he had a little tournament as well. So a small number of people played in the tournament. You didn't have to play in the tournament. Most people didn't. But he had a small competitive tournament, which is, he, he runs those at WBC and other places. So that last day, Mark and one other player was, uh, were playing in the finals. And Mark has this Battle of Rhode Island map that's double-sized, huge, right? So twice as wide, twice as long, big counters, awesome. And so he's, they move we move him and the tables into the American Revolution room at the museum. Mm. So behind him is a carronade from a ship that the British sunk right before, in preparation for the American assault on Newport, right, at Rhode Island. And it's in a display case right behind it. Not to mention the maps and the pieces of this and that, just awesome. And it was uh, it was just a rare experience uh, to 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 see all this pulled together and how magical. And it makes it 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 just makes you think, wow, I wish we could do this a lot. Right? Where where yeah. are we going to do it next? What's the idea? Hopefully, other people take the idea and run with it. Um, a lot of interesting ideas that, that, that we developed at this con for the first time that I think we'll use over and over. There's one other story I want to tell that was, was just a treat. Um, I'm at the, uh, I, I get there early after Mark's presentation. I left Butts Hill for it early. I didn't get to go to, to Turkey Hill, but I'm sitting there talking to a couple of people and Mark Herman strolls in Mark Herman was on the faculty of the Navy War College, right? So he's he's, a, he's the real deal, right? Yeah. Well, many of us fantasize about the idea of somebody that makes decisions looking at our game, right? And it's kind of fun to think about that. He's the real deal, he's done it, right? He's done it, he's taught it, he was there. So um, Mark says, hey, come over and uh, I want you to help me or come talk to me while I set up um, Empire of the Sun. So I go with him, every opportunity that I have to talk to Mark Herman, I take. My, my hope is that a little bit of brilliance rubs off on me somewhere. I'll carry a suitcase. I don't care. I just want some <laughs> of that brilliance to rub off. So I, um, I go over and I sit down and we look over and there's a, there's a display case with a map. And he says, hey, I, I think I know that map. So we go over to it. And in the display case, references a map excuse me, for a conflict, conflict simulation made by Mark Herman. <laughs> <the display> <laughs> And, um, it was just, it was, it was exceptional. That was was a real treat and a big part of the convention for me. So I'm going to grab a cough drop while you all talk amongst yourselves. Can I give you a topic? Okay. Go for Uh, it. Follow on to Mr. President. I'll be right back. Oh boy.
1: Gene, I'll turn to you.
3: Follow on to Mr. President. Hmm. Well, expansions to Mr. President. Yes follow on right now no i think i don't have another seven year mr president in me right now given everything else that's going on with gmp continuing to grow
1: neither do rachel Um, and i
3: true i'm very open you know I, i built mr president in a modular way where it could definitely be used as you know mr president the 60s or 70s, it could be Mr. President George Washington, those eight years, you could do just about any historical period with it, with kind of a plug and play module for some of the pieces of it. Um, and, and when I designed Mr. President, I, I thought of it that way, that we would do more. Uh, but I think the do, do more is going to depend on whether other designers would like to do that. Uh, you, you know, kind of like Voca was done with the coin series where where you open it up. Hey, I'll help you. I'll, I'll give you access to all the design pieces. If we find some people with a, a real interest in certain periods of American history, uh, I think the game would lend itself well to that. I just don't think I'm the one to, to spearhead it. I can help can be in the background, give ideas and and support, but I, I don't think I would spearhead it. Hmm.
1: I
2: know there, there are go. people that are interested. I wonder if the Discord server's in order. Hmm. Not a bad idea, Harold. But right
3: now we're working on getting the second edition out the door. So that, that that's right in front of me right now. <coughs> and we'll talk about the other stuff.
2: So does that so that tells me that we've sold out? Yes. Sold, <laughs> out,
3: wow. sold out in five weeks. Wow. So that was that was pretty
2: good. Yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations.
3: And I should say I appreciate all the people. That had so much faith in us to buy the game, and and I'm really gratified to see how many people are still playing it. And I, I get notes all the time from people saying, "Well, I'm 160 hours in, oh, wow. this is my tenth game, or something like that." You know, hopefully, I won't get one. I'm 160 hours in; it's my first game. <laughs> um, but you know, they they play ten games. They got 160 hours. That's a compliment to me. It's incredible. Um, I, I really just, I think you you probably shared this sentiment, Harold, that as a designer, the real reward is seeing people enjoying your game and it's not the royalties. You know, you'll take all that and you'll get awards and that's all fine. But, but just seeing people who really enjoy their life is better because they got to play your game. That's really gratifying to me. And so sold out. That's good. I'm happy. Um, but, More happy that lots of people seem to be continuing to play it and enjoy it. That's good.
1: Yeah. So, aside from present company, Harold, do you have a favorite (laughs) game by another GMT designer?
3: (laughs) He wouldn't have said me anyway. (laughs) We got Volko and Mark. Um,
2: It's tough competition, to be honest
3: it is
1: not a favorite designer, just a favorite game by another GMT
2: designer. yeah well you know I've already tipped my hat to this one right Twilight struggle mm-hmm. I mean it's it's the perfect it's the perfect game and I I, I continually ask them questions about how um, and it seems like it was a long path. There were a lot of ideas that were built into it <clears throat> you know they started with um, army units on the map and uh, and of course left that idea behind. Um I'm intrigued by the idea of what they would change but I don't really want to hear it. Um I was I was talking to Ananda Gupta on a podcast and he started, well, here are the things I would change and I just covered my ears. I don't want to hear it. It's perfect. It's perfect so shut up, please. <laughs>
1: yeah. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs>
2: yes, yes, I don't want to know. Um it's uh it's also um it's it, it's also an exceptional choice of topic this game would not be as popular as it is if it were the roman empire or x or y mm-hmm. the, the selection and i think that's important for every designer <clears throat> you know uh, many of us not all of us but many of us don't want to design a game that sells 500 copies um we want to touch uh, we first of all we want people to like our game and secondly we want to touch a lot of people with that positiveness or it's just not worth doing. So that's in the back of my mind now. Of course, South China Sea—what a stupid idea for you know for a topic for a game. <clears throat> so that's why I'm going Cold War next. <laughs> um, but but I think it, it was an astute choice, and you know they they've done that twice, right? With uh, with uh, imperial struggle, um, and and so you know I think that's as important part of that game is. As, as in, in its popularity and the fact that it hits home and the fact that, you know, when I was a kid, I followed the Vietnam War and, um, you know, I followed what went on and what was then referred to as the Near East, right, which is now the Middle East and, and developments in Central and South America and uh, the, the politics of Europe and all of that's in this game. And, and so, uh, you know, it's just it's just awesome. Yeah, I mean it... you, know,
3: Harold, you know Harold just in passing uh, you, you talked about a, a couple of games there and, and where flashpoint goes next I was sitting in the in the anteroom or whatever when you were talking about possible games I love the idea I mean love 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 the idea of an Italian Renaissance competition game whether it's a flashpoint game or not mm-hmm. I think that's a tremendous topic that might broaden but might be a very broad topic for strategy game players. So that's my two cents. Sorry, Luke.
1: No worries. I was just going to say it hits that cross section of, um, twilight struggle hits that cross section of it was, you know, a cold conflict that affected most of the world. And a lot of people that are alive today were alive during that still. So it's, it's a really nice cross section as far as the audience. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. yeah, I, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, it's not a, it, I think the game would be even more widely played um, w- with one, with one I- issue. And it's, it's not a criticism because I love this about the game. But there are times in Twilight Struggle where you'll get a hand that will be horrendous. Mm -hmm. And your job is just to figure out how to get through the turn and not lose the game. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I love that. I love that. But I think there are some people that are venturing over from non-historical parts of our game board game hobby that don't want to do that. Um, And, and, you know, I, I, I'm a missionary for the game. I keep multiple copies in my, in my cabinet. I'm looking at two right now. And in that cabinet, and I'll teach anybody that's interested. And if they and if they look like they like it, I say, "Oh, here's a copy. Take it."
3: And <laughs> then right. I come back
2: and get the discounted that's copy from you're GMT. You're responsible for all the sales of that game. <laughs> Thank you. <bro>. It's me <laughs> buying them at the GMT event, Gene, so I can give them away. Right. Um, but but it's you know, um, uh, but but I've played it with some people that just say, "Oh my God." I have your hand. I don't want to play this. This is terrible. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, to me, it's part of the fun. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yep. Well, uh, we've talked a little bit about the Cold War and about the Italian Renaissance as far as designs. But do you have any more topics or just periods of time for a game that would most interest you to play? Like maybe just right now?
2: I think there's a lot of, there's a lot going on around the American revolution that we really don't, don't model very well. <clears throat> we don't model at all and we, and we don't model it well. And I, hmm. I think, um, you know, the, the, the fall of the, you know, really it was the beginning of the fall of colonialism um, in, in the American uh, revolution. And, and, there was a lot going on at the time that wasn't American, right? Um, we love the American games. We love George Washington and and we love to hate Burgoyne and, and, uh, and others, but <clears throat> there was, you know, the, the, the West Indies was more important to both the British and the French than North America ever was. And the French loved it because it was irritating to the British and the British, loved it because it was theirs right it was their turf how dare we not pay taxes and so the west indies is an interesting area that needs to be modeled in order to to model the west indies you have to model the triangle trade Mm -hmm. and so that comes into addressing the brutality of slavery in something we call a game um and you know would come with great responsibility but i think <clears throat> it's important for people to understand the economics that created this evil. Um, that, that's basically human chattel, and I think um, I think there there needs to be a model uh, put forth to help people understand that. So, you know, I don't know if I'm the person to do it, and uh, and and the weight of the issues every time I consider the West Indies as a place to model <clears> that the, the obvious extension is this trade, the triangle trade. And I, and the weight of that gets to me and, and I'm not sure I can do it. Um, uh, but I, but I think that it's a, you know, it's something that needs to be modeled. And <clears throat> I've talked to another uh, well-known designer that isn't here and, and will remain nameless. And, and we've talked about doing a game that's even a, f- a further step back, right? What happens if the kings of France and England decide they want to compete? And in order to model that at the broadest sense, it, you know, it's kind of imperial um, struggle, but it, it would be focused on the, you know, the, the, the American theater. The, and, and so the American theater means that you have to model North America, but you have to model the West, and then you're going to have to model the trade and um, I think it could be a powerful, useful game, thoughtful and interesting, but, um, but it's, it's, it's heavy. And um, so, you know, I, th- that's one that, that sticks to me. I love, I love the period. I love the people and the process. Um, I'm, I'm struck and shocked by some of the norms of the century, And, um, and, and, you know, I'm not sure I know how, how to do it justice. Yeah,
1: that makes sense.
2: Yeah.
3: I'd like to go back to people for a second, Harold. Um, I, I believe that life is so complex and there's so much to do in this finite amount of time that we all have that we all need teachers. We all need people who influence us, who help us along the path. And I'm just interested. I, I, I know that you have a great love for history, uh, a love for game design, for modeling. Uh, tell me about some of your teachers that have influenced you uh, or encouraged you in, in
2: that pursuit. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, um if I can be loose with the definition of teacher, right? It's, it's people that, that may had a big influence. One was a friend of mine who's now deceased. Uh, that was a big gaming buddy early introduced me to many games, SPI. Um, when I did campaigns of 1777 in strategy and tactics, the reason I did it there was because my buddy, John loved strategy and tactics. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was a great place to dedicate something to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that was a, um, you know, he was a powerful influence on gaming and history. He was really the first, <clears throat> the first time I played games and I started, and I would do something in the game or he would talk about what happened, what the history was, right? And, uh, and, and so for a young kid playing games for the first time, it's a very powerful, wow. um, it, it, it was a powerful shift in how I thought about historical games. You really realize how the history's played out and how important it is, and how it's re- reflected in the model and and what happened. So that was um, that was all very powerful. Um, you know, I I stopped gaming when I went to college, and um, and and I you know I just got distracted with with the importance of school and work and and didn't do anything until my kids started back to to left, left the house for school. And, um, so, uh, so really, you know, just limited issues there. I, when I was in grad school, I was, um, I lived, uh, well, I worked, I went to school within, you know, a 30 minute walk of the USS constitution. And so, um, that was a treat in Bunker Hill, right. Breeds Hill. And so, you know, that, that was a powerful influence on me in history once I really realized what was so close to me. And, and Boston and, and um, Cambridge are really wonderful museums. And, uh, you know, I, I could spend days wandering the streets because so much important stuff happened. Yeah. Um, so that was, in, that was all important. Um, so Boston was a teacher. Massachusetts was a teacher. And then, you know, I think uh, I spent a ton of time when I did Liberty or Death with Volco. Um, I, you know, I started that as a little model for me and friends. We played um, Andy and Abyss, thought it was awesome and and played it a lot. And it, you know, it's about, about the time I rejoined the hobby and I said, wow, I, I can't believe that there was nothing like this in the future. I can't believe, or in the past, I can't believe this is here, right? Uh, or at least my past, right? I took a lot of years off. So um, I started playing that. I said, hey, I love the American Revolution. This kind of fits, right? What a cool way to bring in four parties. I studied negotiation and economic game theory in, in graduate school. So I knew that <clears throat> conflicts with two people don't exist. There are tons of people every, always at the table. So what happens? Who are the four people if it was the American Revolution? So <clears throat> that game shook, shook up my thought. And then, um, you know, when when I decided to start work on that, I said, Volko, I'll need some of your time. And what we he agreed to do was to spend an hour with me every week. Hmm. That's a big commitment. For a year, he would, and, and I would honor the hour, right? I would not let it go over and I would, I had, I was prepared and he was magnificent as, as always, right? That goes without saying, but he had a huge influence on how I linked the stuff that we do to history and, uh, and modeling it. And, and I can't understate his impact on my view um of of this stuff and a whole bunch of other stuff right I mean he was in, he was, he and I were were you know employees one and two of the Zenobi award um we uh he he's on our board of advisors he was at the con in, in Newport he you know I I just just like Mark Herman I try to learn as much by proximity from either of those people that I can yeah
3: so, so
2: that's uh that that's a list of teachers well thanks Harold I appreciate that
1: Yeah, great for, or thank you for sharing. It's great to hear about some of your past in the hobby and how that's brought you to where you are today. Mm -hmm. So that is all we have for today. Um, Thank you so much, Harold, for taking the time to chat with us and for being the inaugural guest on GMT Talk. It's been a pleasure.
0: Uh, We also want to thank you for your vision and skill in bringing such cool and interesting games to GMT. And for all you're doing to help make our hobby a better, broader, and
2: more inclusive space. So I, um, I, I'd i like to thank Go ahead. Uh, Luke and Rachel and, of course, Gene, but uh, Luke and Rachel for, for inviting me to be the first guest. Uh, I think the condition was that I couldn't ask any questions, which I violated <laughs> post-haste. <laughs> uh, but I can't help it. I just... Um, Give me a microphone. I'm going to ask questions. Um, yeah.
1: And that you couldn't talk about football and you guys already did that. So that's right.
2: yeah, that's right. So that's probably what I should close with. But um, look, I, I am GMT was, it has been great to me and it's a great pleasure to be here with you all. And um, you know, I hope you can edit out my coughing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about it. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. We will see everyone next time on GMT Talk.
0: See you next time.
1: All right. Take care.